0: Welcome to the Tech Rides podcast, where we feature inspiring stories of entrepreneurship from top business leaders while riding in a cool car. I'm your host, Edwin Marcial. If you would like to see the videos and cool cars we feature on the show, sign up and watch at techrides.io. Tech Rides, smart people, sweet rides, where industry leaders ride shotgun.
1: Hi, we, we engaged with you a long time ago, but then it looked like you were working with someone else. So, but are you... Are you looking to get some help?
0: The voice you hear is Cherie Kloss, CEO of okay, well Tech. we can. Her phone has been ringing off the hook since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, this call came right in the middle of the recording of this podcast. You see, one of SnapMed Tech's wholly owned subsidiaries, SnapNurse, is a technology-enabled platform that provides nurses to hospitals and healthcare facilities. Today you will hear the amazing story of how this industry-disrupting startup went from making two million in annual recurring That's revenue RNs. or ARR okay, yep. pre-pandemic to 200 million my, uh, gross ARR in the months an, that uh, followed.
1: Okay, thanks for calling. Okay, bye-bye.
0: Full disclosure, I have been closely involved with Snapnurse since its inception. Initially as acting CTO, leading the design and build of the Snapnurse platform through my company, 13 Castles Digital and now as an advisor and investor in the company. Let's pick up the conversation with Cherie and her co-founder and COO, Jeff Richards. Cherie and Jeff, welcome to Tech Rides. Thank you. Thank you, Edwin. I mentioned you're the founders of SnapMed Tech, but you actually have three different businesses under SnapMed Tech that are wholly owned subsidiaries. You want to describe each of those? Yes.
2: Yeah, so what Jeff and I started off as healthcare providers. We were both anesthetists. And he was on the hospital side. As he um, advanced his career, he actually started uh, to um, book agency personnel to help fill empty shifts at his hospital. And I was an anesthetist that was the, like the worker that would be booked by you know various uh, staff in the hospital. And we knew that there was a um, a definite problem in in. The efficiency of getting workers booked in and decided to pair up together and um, alongside with Edwin to develop a platform that is to allow facilities to book nurses through an online platform and uh, called that SNAP Nurse. So, SNAP Nurse is our online agency powered by technology. Um, the efficiency of the technology is what allows SnapNurse to scale so quickly and that technology that powers SnapNurse is called InstaStaff and InstaStaff is one of the subsidiaries, the second subsidiary, which is the software, the booking and management software that powers SnapNurse and then last is payment and payment with the like the mint leaf payment is the third subsidiary and that's the platform we developed that allows the nurses to get paid at the end of every shift after a time card approval. So we have SNAP nurse, Insta staff and payment. I also wanted to mention on the little adding to the about why hospitals use um, nurses or nurse agencies is that there's currently a a huge shortage of nurses um, due to the aging baby boomers in the u.s Um, they that's uh adding to the demand of the hospitals needing to have more workers on on top of that it's the um, actual nurses that are retiring and not enough people going into the profession um so add that you know it becomes the perfect storm of of just a a terrible um shortage of of nurses in many of these hospitals so i do think that the future is this kind of traveling nurse workforce that can work you know where they want when they want
0: yeah i was going to ask you like and you touched on it there a bit but like if i'm a nurse what is the appeal to being a snap nurse versus working full-time for a hospital
2: Well, we have two really exciting divisions of SNAP nurse, you know, one is our PRN per diem, which means they'll pick up a shift here, pick up a shift there, work whenever they want. Um, That's one division of our business, which largely runs entirely on the technology without any operators involved. And then there's the second arm of it, which is our rapid response arm. And that is that we have two to four week contracts. So we took the one dayers, and turn them into two weekers and four weekers, and sent them to all the various hard hit areas uh, in the country. There are SNAPNERS that work just full time on SNAP nurses, and they'll work four week contract, take a week off, then go do a two week contract, and take a week off. You know, they can make make their own schedule. They can, and they make you know at least 25% more than they do in a hospital. Um, and they just, they just like the flexibility and It's kind of nice to to go to different places. Also, you can try out a place before you work there. You know, if you want to check, well, I'm going to see how that hospital is before. And then I'll take a two-week contract and, and check it out. And then they like it and they might become permanent employees. Jeff, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: I was thinking of the origin story. You kind of just touched on it, but that we... We went to school together 20 years ago at Emory, and spent, you know, a, a ton of time together in terms of the intensity of any kind of two and a half year intensive medical education. All those hours, and in the pig lab, and then going out to assignments. But those were that was two years, and then we didn't see each other for 17 years. And then I was in MBA school and was writing a a paper in my entrepreneurship class about a mobile healthcare staffing app. And I did a little research on the state of Georgia and saw that in 2007, the Georgia State Legislature had commissioned a study to forecast the nursing shortage and that it would occur 10 years later. That was happening in 2017. I was writing the paper and living it at Grady and realizing something dramatic has to be done and staffing in particular there may be technology in terms of better MRIs and robotic surgery, but in terms of just how to contact people, execute on payroll and time and attendance, it was abysmal. They were still faxing me resumes and TB skin tests, uh, not taking advantage of any technology available and the opportunity was there. And then the crisis of the shortage was presenting an even bigger opportunity. And below and behold, after 17 years and no conversations, Shri reaches out to me on LinkedIn and says, maybe you can help me with my startup, we go out to lunch at Gia's Chicken, and she pulls out a deck, and starts showing me this deck of this thing called Snap so I'm like, hey, I, I just wrote a paper about a mobile healthcare staffing app, and she's like, oh yeah, okay, well, here's my idea, and this is what we can do, and I've already got a, a, an app developed, I <laughs> need to develop to create a prototype, and I'm like, I'm in, how do I get in, this is what I want to do, I don't want to go on and become the chief operating officer of a Hospital or run a small hospital somewhere and maybe a bigger hospital one day I want to get in and disrupt this industry, take what we know and and what do we do next and that's when the money shopping started. we were interviewing people and and asking for money and making pitches and we went to a barbecue a memorial day and spoke with a, a pretty sophisticated Atlanta investor who spent a bunch of time in Silicon Valley and started several businesses and then is now you know ongoing investing and he listened to it and you know, like a lot of the VC type people seemed almost bored. Like we were irritating him <laughs> or taking up his time. But when we finished, which we weren't sure if we made an impression or not, he said, this this isn't, this is better than good. These economics are fantastic. This is a great idea. And so I think, I mean, I was, if anything, if I was wavering, I felt completely confident at that point that someone who was sophisticated, he didn't give us his money, but, but, <laughs> Some of that some of that was that we had this with others where they all said, great idea. This idea is going to require really good execution. And I think by saying that, they said, and I don't think that that's you or Cherie or the people that you're going to hire.
0: So you were making about 200000 a month you know, earlier in the year, then COVID hit, and then you guys really started to take off. So can you explain that or describe that journey and, and, and what's your current ARR?
1: Well, let's talk about the journey. We started in January um, with around 200000 a month. And then our business essentially went down to zero because COVID hit and all the hospitals were furloughing all the workers, except for you know COVID responders. And our business was primarily in PRN per diem, like servicing like surgery centers and um, OR nurses and things like that. So we quickly pivoted to being part of the COVID response to helping hospitals with um, all of their COVID needs, as well as expanding to essentially doing like testing services and um, contact tracing and um, having mobile units doing that um, all across the Southeast. And we saw our revenue just start to climb higher and higher um, as we, you know, it used to take us six months to close a contract and it was taking now six hours to close a contract. I mean, they call on the phone and immediately you sign. Um,
0: <laughs> like you just and, saw. Yeah, just saw, <laughs> just, just witnessed it in real time.
1: Yeah, that's fine, in real time. That's and, right. and so um, it's it was a very stressful to scale. Um, Jeff and I had many a time when we were um, wondering if we were even gonna make um, payroll the following week because we had such an amount crazy amount of growth um, from week to week that even the profit earned on the previous week, which is going to pay for the growth and the nurses payroll for the next week. And every week we were just hovering on, are we going to be able to keep scaling at this fast pace? Um,
0: Right. Because the the, the thing that people just, if everybody's clear, if your business is starting to boom, but that also means you have to pay out all your nurses. And in some cases you're paying them on a, on a, daily basis so that means you have to have that cash on hand to make sure everybody gets paid and so that's kind of the stress you're talking about
1: that's right we had to pay our nurses before we got paid um and so we just had to always make sure that we were collecting fast enough to um be able to essentially pay the payroll of the following week and it was it was a very stressful climb and i would read from other startup books um, about how you can actually scale so fast and combust. Uh, And it felt like that every step of the way. Um, We grew 2,437% during that time. And we're currently at a $200 million run rate right now.
0: So your ARR is 200 million.
1: And we did that. We went from really 2 million, (laughs) essentially, run rate to 200 million run rate in eight months. Um, So that was a very stressful time. But um, incredible, we didn't combust, we're actually continuing to grow um, even faster now, but at least we're, um, we got a better handle on the cash flow. As we've recently taken in um, a an investor, which is pivotal group, who's invested in the company allowed us to have a little more cash flow and and not stress out so much about, you know, conserving every penny. Because what, what what would happen was we could never hire anyone because all of our money for growth was going towards paying the payroll of the nurses the following week. So we were hiring very little um, compared to the amount of growth that we were experiencing. So we had to rely heavily on the technology to do a large bulk of that work.
0: And what are you going to use the money for?
1: We're gonna use the money for um, scaling the business um, even, even larger than it is um, to other verticals as well as other state governments. You know, We've launched um, into Florida and did a big deployment, a state deployment of all of our nurses. Um, we also wanna get um, into the business of delivering the vaccines um, through various programs that the federal government is rolling out. Um, and expanding into other things like staffing labor actions or strikes of nurses
0: we're going through a current spike right now in covid what what are, what are you seeing
1: and we're seeing um so many orders being poured pouring through and a lot of facilities just being completely desperate for for nurses right now and this is even worse than the first wave to be honest it was The first wave was intense but this is in a different level (laughs) this is everyone is really hurting right now for for nurses and i think this is going to be a a pretty rough winter for a lot of facilities and um, for covid but i have to say that the covid wave this time is is pretty bad Um, probably the strongest i've seen um, which this they say this is the third wave which we have seen Three different ways. This one seems to be the biggest.
0: And do you have nurses in your pool that are bouncing around from these different hotspots and locations? And I imagine I would guess some of them are, right?
1: Oh, yeah. The nurses are now working full time. Um, if you're an ICU, med surge, or ER nurse, you're just going from assignment to assignment, COVID assignment to a COVID assignment to. And because the the pay rate has never been higher for um, ICU nurses because they're in such demand that um, you know they're making you know ninety between eighty and a hundred dollars an hour um, working these sites and um, and so it's it's definitely tempting to do that versus just kind of working um, you know as a ICU nurse in your hometown and making you know probably like thirty or forty dollars an hour. Um, But it is hard, it is hard on the nurses to travel away from their house, um, from their homes and their family, live in a tiny little hotel room, uh, you know, day after day, working with COVID patients. And I heard a story today, the nurse said she had to take a two-month break because she was just so tired of seeing all of her patients die, you know, one after another, after another, after another, and she just couldn't take it anymore so she had like a mental breakdown. And so I do hear of, you know, um, mental fatigue is starting to set in with a lot of these nurses.
3: Right, I think we, early on, we saw sort of facility by facility. We had smaller clients, so that we signed up some long-term care chains, which gave us insight into, well, I have two facilities in crisis. Now I have four, now I have 10. You're responding well, why don't you take these 20 and we did grow in that incremental way. But then when we got introduced into the state of Florida, it was directly with Florida Emergency Man- Management. So essentially, the state backed by FEMA. And it, we had already seen and heard back from our own nurses very, very difficult work environment conditions where there'd be three patients with COVID upon entry, and within seven to 10 days, the entire facility had COVID, employees were getting sick and leaving, and our staff were the replacement employees and either supplying them PPE on our own and doing everything possible. We've had an incredibly low rate of uh, our own staff getting COVID. It, it does happen and it is challenging, but that that has highlighted us, you know, seeing it from our vantage point that it's it's like a type of war. It's it's these are extremely difficult environments to go into and ensure your own safety and care for a lot of patients and then be bear witness to very difficult situations with a higher death rate, much much higher death rate than they might normally see, and yet you still have to care for patients and continue on.
0: What do you say to people that look at the the recent success you've had with Snap Nurse and say this is just a temporary you know uh, phenomenon because of COVID?
1: Well what we say is it's a a land grab for facility contracts Um, so what we're doing is essentially getting as many facility contracts as we can um, through the urgent need that they have we get uh, a lot of COVID contracts and we'll convert the COVID contracts into traditional staffing contracts and PRN per diem staffing contracts, you know, labor action strike contracts, rapid response contracts. So we expand it from what was just a COVID contract into many other verticals of business, even also selling the technology we have to various facilities to use to mobilize their own staff as well
0: it's really like you poured rocket fuel on your sales and marketing. Cause like, like we said earlier, you know, these contracts that sat around for months are now getting signed in a matter of days and you're doing it all over the country at this, you know, accelerated rate. And even post COVID now there's, you know, everybody knows who you are and they've already got contracts with you. So you're positioned to do all this other additional business um, going forward, which is, which is really just awesome.
3: I think in some ways Sri and I have talked about this. We happen to, be in the right place at the right time with the right company in the right crisis. And the possibility of that happening is like lightning striking in the same place 10 times. Those things often don't line up like that. And yet here we find ourselves in that situation.
0: Yeah, well, I, I will say though that I think that that what strikes me working with the two of you the last couple of years, you're both incredibly passionate and resilient and hardworking and so I wouldn't put as much emphasis on, the, on the being in the right place at the right time. It would have been easy to, to wrap this thing up, you know, a year ago or two years ago, or, you know, or, or do something different. Um, but it's your tenacity to, to, to kind of keep working at it and to put yourself in this position. You just mentioned strikes. Can you explain that entire kind of, what the concept of strike nurses are and, and how you're positioned to uh, benefit from that?
1: Right, so nurses can't even are not even allowed to strike unless they have coverage. A lot of the unions have a, a deal with the with the hospitals that um, they have to have the staff coverage in order to be able to strike. So, in some, what we like to say is, well, you wouldn't be able to strike even, you know, if if we weren't there. Um, so we provide the staffing while the nurses can strike. And what happens is basically the unions give a 10 day notice to a hospital facility and you essentially have 10 days to fill the entire staffing of that hospital, whoever's striking. So in this last um, labor action, we did 600 nurses and had to fill them within three days and be on the ground. And that was um, done successfully at 110%. And we uh, had to pay them every single day according to California law, and luckily we had our payment platform payment like the like the Mint Leaf that allows you to get paid at the end of every shift after an electronic time card is submitted. So,
0: right, this is a crazy story. So, so basically, nurses, like a, a lot of workers, can go on strikes, and 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 what you're describing is that um, in order for them to go on strike, they have to have uh, by law there has to be uh, some kind of agreement where somebody else can replace them. They just can't walk out and, have, and leave the hospitals without any nurses. So you're filling that you're able to fill that void and, and you got a call one day from uh, a hospital in California or an entire facility in California that was like, hey, we're, we've got, we just got this, had this strike and we need, how many nurses was it? Can you tell that whole story? Cause it's, it's pretty amazing.
1: 560 nurses. In, um, in essentially we had to deliver that in four days. Um, so we had to be on the ground. All the nurses had to be there in three days and then have orientation and then be ready to work on the fifth day. And we had, that's how much notice we had. So, and this was
0: in California at a hospital and a place you had, you or snap nurse had never been, right?
1: That's correct. We've never been at this, uh, this group of facilities of nine facilities before. So we were, um, even everyone told us you're never going to do it. It's never going to happen. A lot of other strike companies were even turned it down because it was so little notice, and they knew that they would couldn't do it. Um, so we took the we took the challenge and delivered. And um, they basically called us knights in shining shining armor because they didn't have to divert any patients anywhere. Um, we were able to fill at 100%
3: we found out three days into the 10 day notice that the strike had been called there. And then our sales staff of one was aggressively calling into there. finally got someone on the phone and then got us a meeting, which then it took two or three days to close. Meanwhile, each day that goes by is closer to the actual strike coming. And then by the time it was all in place, there were four days left to, to fill the order. And as Shri said, Every other agency said they would not take this, but having had the experience we had with Florida and elsewhere, we knew we could do it. We just needed the contract to get the chance to prove it. But even with that, it was an enormous ask. And and as we were in the midst of it, uh, there were other vendors who were underperforming. So they gave us more of the business as each day rolled on the order kept growing and it expanded at the end to that 560 it didn't start out that way so some of those last few staff were delivered throughout the weekend as the strike date came up and then even after the strike began about 36 hours into it they were still adding to the order and we were still delivering staff critical staff that actually as shri mentioned certain staff that were deployed into there allowed for that level 1 trauma hospital to remain off diversion, which it would be like if Grady hospital went on diversion because they didn't have the appropriate staff to run the operating rooms. And when that happens in a large urban area, then the designated level one hospital, if they're not receiving patients, every other hospital has to absorb it. And it becomes much bigger than a single strike. It becomes a public health challenge. And the service delivery that we provided prevented that from happening. And they were extremely grateful for it. So it's yeah. an, it's pretty
0: incredible, considering, like you said earlier, that it used to take months for you to sign one hospital, and now here's this totally random hospital in a state you haven't done business with that you're that's reaching out, or you're reaching out to them, and they're like, yeah, we need you know 500, 600 nurses, and we need them in a few days, and and you're able to deliver that um and, and sign the contract within a moderate i think you signed that one in a matter of hours right that, that's really fantastic do you expect that to be a recurring trend i mean with other strikes and other and other facilities
1: yes absolutely there's there aren't that many players in that space and um, there are some that have been around for a really long time but they've also got their hands full and you know with a lot of the unions kind of postponing all of their negotiations um, during 2020, you know, in out of respect for COVID. um, It's all now, you know, kind of piling up on each other. So um, there are a lot of analysts that say this is going to be the biggest, 2021 will be one of the largest strike years in all the history of all hospitals. From from just the delayed negotiations on top of just real general, angst among healthcare workers and especially nurses who may have felt there wasn't enough PPE or there, you know, um, too many patients to nurses or um, really difficult times during COVID that um, they want to have some changes be made. So I think the strikes are happening now, even despite of COVID, um, which was another reason why it was really important that we delivered so that you're not, you know, taking COVID patients out of the hospitals and trying to taking them, and spreading them all over around. Um, you know, keeping them contained. was really important. So, so this year, 2021 is going to be a big year for for labor actions and strikes.
0: Yeah, I can and, imagine that. The, the, I can imagine that this is something that nurses, you know, didn't see coming or never even signed up for the the kind of uh, conditions and risks that that they've, they've faced in the last year. And so, I can imagine there's going to be a lot of uh, rethinking and negotiating about what they want to see in terms of their their contracts as they go go forward. and so that that makes a lot of sense
3: and and in addition, is running a strike during Covid is running a strike in general is a giant logistical, almost military operation of mobilizing, you know staff from in various states to descend upon one location generally one or maybe two hotels and then deploy them out to the various facilities that a particular hospital needs to have coverage in but to do all that in the time of covid means that even the registration as they stand in line they have to be socially distanced everyone has to wear a mask when they're put on the bus for transportation every single person has to have a temperature screen and fill out a covid questionnaire and then be boarded onto the bus then driven over to the hospital, normal strike logistical challenges, then deployed into the hospital, then the incoming staff coming out of the building, must be temperature screen, go through a questionnaire, then come back into the hotel, also socially distanced. depart, disembark from the bus at a certain distance. You have to have more buses in place to ensure that there's not too many staff per bus. So all of the normal logistical challenges are compounded by doing all this in the midst of COVID still being here. And, and so number one, that was our first strike and it occurred in the middle of COVID and it, it went extraordinarily well. And, you know, to the testimony of social distancing and mask and all the rest, there were very, very few COVID positives after bringing together almost 600 staff and our own team on the ground, which was almost 30 people. Um, not a single person on our team got COVID and very few nurses got it even in the midst of all of that interaction over that six to seven day period. You two have been on a quite
0: a, quite a ride here in the last few years. What would you say has been the biggest lesson you've learned throughout this entrepreneurial journey?
2: Oh, that's, that's
3: good. (laughs) This is a big question. Let's just say we've made
2: some huge mistakes. Let's just say that. Um, You know, you always think that one giant mistake and you're just going to be dead in the water. And we've, you know, we've had like this uh, wild hair last year where we were going to, we were entertaining, you know, the idea of um, make nurse credentialing essentially like a non-profit you know each nurse would own their own credentials so they can truly go from place to place to place without having all the hurdles of what we see you know every single day which is doing all the same credentialing over and over again everywhere they go so we had this very grand idea um, and i would say not you know not all you can have a really good idea but it could be the wrong time um, for that idea to launch. And, um, that was essentially what we believe happened with, um, our attempt to, to do blockchain credentialing is with the crypto token, that is, um, we definitely abandoned that after we saw any kind of danger of any kind of SEC rules and things like that. But during that little stint, we did, you know, spend a lot of money in research and development over that. So I would say that that was one of our, our biggest, um, Things that we regret, although that can still be on the docket for the future. It was the wrong time, the wrong product, for the wrong for the it was too early in the market.
3: Too
2: early. Um, so and and Edwin warned us about that. So <laughs> <laughs> should have listened. Um, so I I think that learning to um, see opportunity you know, uh, as fast as you can, because I know that a lot of nurse agencies actually decreased in volume tremendously as we were talking to everybody in April and May, we're talking to other, you know, colleagues that are in the staffing industry who said, well, you're the only nurse staffing agency I've seen that's gone up during this. <laughs> Everyone else is down 30, 40%. You know, they were not, able to pivot as fast as we could and then develop the relationships with the various uh, facilities and deliver what we promised um, in terms of 72-hour turnarounds, which is essentially kind of unheard of in the nurse staffing agency. So um, I would say try to be a little bit better than your competition, learn to see opportunity, and pivot when you have to. Mm -hmm. How about you, Jeff?
3: Yeah, I think when I went to business school, it was, you know, the many of the things that the professors had told us, and of course, textbooks are as well, is that you want to be uniquely differentiated. If you can find that one thing, and then do it really, really well, and just focus on that, and have a repeatable process, you can scale it really quickly and find tremendous success. But that's, we've definitely not, we've did it a little in the beginning, and then we diversified as if we were a very large company really early on, embracing staffing, which is an uh, an intensive, exhausting business that's 24 seven, in combination with a technology company. And we're told all along the way repeatedly by other larger investing entities that you have to pick one, you have to focus on one. And we didn't do that. And as Sri mentioned earlier, it was last year in 2019 that the technology sale was a significant impact of the revenue of the company, and it also allowed us to really dig in and innovate and develop. There, hours spent between the business side and the technology side, testing, you know, tweaking, talking to customers, ensuring that the way the platform worked was delivering what was needed. And then uh, here we've you know increased the way InstaStaff worked, and it changed the booking platform and the webhook interface, as well as listening to customers and finding out that payment was more desirable. And then the pandemic hits. And now what had been told to us over and over if you want to be a technology company, sell the agency, which we didn't do, thankfully. (laughs) Here we are, you know, six months later at 100X, and we have all three still, even though the other two, they don't have huge amounts of customers. So I think it's, even if your hearing knows from people who supposedly know more than you, is to trust your instincts. As long as you're listening to the market and you're following what you think is right, you may find out that you were right, even though these other folks told you the, that you weren't, and then you're in a really great position you know, a year from now when, when you couldn't have seen the future, but you just followed your instincts.
0: Yeah, I, I you know I was gonna ask you what the biggest key to your your success has been, but I'll, I'm just gonna answer it because what I what I've seen and I mentioned a little bit before, but you know you you guys have pivoted a lot in a way. And when you say diversified and pivoted, you know you you know you started out with Snap Nurse, then you quickly went to like uh, let's let's sell the software you know as a service, um, and then let's add payments to it. But you know that you kept all three of those going and. The thing about it is they're they're all complementary, right? So they were all a little bit add-ons, and they were just kind of like you know different different avenues. Um, but what I also you know I've been impressed by is that you know what you know people are always surprised when you say well why why did hospitals would why would nurses be down or other uh, medical agencies be down thirty percent forty percent is because people forget that you know even though during COVID what one of the things that happened is that all these elective surgeries and voluntary procedures went down. So a lot of nurses and hospitals, you know, their business went down. And so it would have been easy for you to be another one of those agencies that says, Oh, well, this is just kind of the way it is, right. But you guys don't do that. You kind of like keep hustling and adapting and like looking for the next opportunity. And which is what you've always done. even with the, the blockchain uh, experiment, um, you know, so sometimes those don't work out, but sometimes you know, just 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 having that, I think, just having that hustle is really what's what's made you uh, put you in this position. Thank you. Well,
3: thank you. Uh, so and the
2: success of our tech, the success of our tech team, you know, and when put together, the tech team um, and oversaw it that essentially was our code from its very first line of code. Um, and I would say that that's been our strongest asset for sure. And when we had the d- diligence done on the tech for when, of course, whenever you want to license it in, in a big way, um, it just passes flying colors to where they said, this is the cleanest code we've ever seen. So we could have been one of those, you know, other 70% of the companies are just struggling with their tech, Staff, but we're, that's one thing we never have to worry about. And the beauty of it is that every time we have a new problem to solve, you know, as we're scaling and we're now, you know, these huge volumes, every time there's a new problem to solve, we just, we present it to our tech team. They they quickly design a, a very good um, solution. And in the next, you know, couple weeks, we have something that used to take us hours and hours done in milliseconds you know um right. and so i would say that is also provided us with the tremendous ability to scale um that normal i think normal traditional staffing agencies just just would not be able to do
0: right right that's great and that's you know listening to your story get there's a lot of parallels to what we did at ice and you know having that some of that that team is former ice so that's the kind of thing we've done before so it's uh you know it's really great to, to see it and i'm really proud of them and proud of you you guys last thing i'll ask you is you know what advice would you have for other entrepreneurs out there especially those that might be going through some struggles now during this kind of unique time we're in
2: um i would say especially when it comes to capital raising i think i see this a, a problem that's happened a lot is Someone will come up with a great idea, and they'll put together a deck and they'll say, I can't find any funding. You know, I can never find any fun. <laughs> And they, they go to every single pitch contest in the world, you know, pitching their idea. And I'd say, you know what, you just need to reach out to your network. You need to reach out to the network and people that understand what you're trying to build and, and raise money there. Like for example, Jeff and I got shot down by every venture capital person we've ever met. <laughs> I mean, never had any luck. And and so Jeff and I just said, hey, maybe they just don't get it. You know, we get it because we're in healthcare and we understand this is this is self, this healthcare problem. But someone else might not understand this is even a problem. And so we started going to all of our doctor friends and people we knew in hospitals and. People that you know, we pitch them in five minutes. I got it. I get it. This is brilliant. You know, let how you know. I can't invest that much, but I can invest this much. Um, and then we just built a pool of people who really believed in us, um, former employers and um, uncles and aunts, and got together the seed money we needed to build the company. And then as that seed money de- became more, uh, developed some revenue, then we're able to get some basically strategic partners people we were doing business with to say well i'd like to invest you know some money and then the, the amount started getting higher they weren't the 20 million dollar amounts but they were the one million dollar amounts um, and then say we we still never had any success you know raising with venture capital but Look, look at the company we built from not raising venture capital without having any success raising capital in the venture capital markets. So go to people that understand your pain point and then pitch to them, they'll get it and they'll want to invest in you. So then the second thing is just make sure that the idea you have is in a niche in a field that you understand very deeply inside baseball on, because I think that that is also part of our success is that we really understood even the little nuances of, of healthcare staffing that other apps w- didn't capture that make all the difference in the world. So I would say that little inside baseball knowledge really helps to, um, to develop the very best product you have. Um, so that's, I would say those two are what I would recommend. Jeff, do you have?
3: Yeah, I was going to say when I was in business school, there were two sort of modal humps on the entrepreneurial spectrum. And one was that what I think people traditionally think of is, you know, between 18 and 25, super smart, taking risks, but less, less, you know, they have less to lose, right? They haven't accumulated much and they haven't really started a career and they either they're really smart or capable or they get in the right place or they figure out things really quickly and then have tremendous success. But then there was sort of a reduction over 30s and 40s. And the next highest group was that where Sri and I are, which we both turned 50 doing this business, leaving careers in our late 40s, which sounds risky and crazy. But I think you know, to Shree's point, if you've established yourself in an industry and have deep content knowledge about how it works and what it needs, where it can be innovated, disrupted, changed, improved, you're coming at it at that, you know, maybe fourth, fifth decade in life with a huge amount of knowledge and experience. And, and I think, don't be afraid. If you think you've got the idea and you're willing to take on the risk and there's, there's a lot to lose, there's no question when you have, you know, kids in school and, and all of that that comes with it. But if you if you're feel passionate about your idea and then you go out through the pathways that we did or whatever you find to raise the money, because you do, you have to give yourself that breathing room. Because early on, we were talking. Well, I might work some hours in anesthesia, and I, I said, no, I can't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit my job. I'm gonna walk out of a 20 year career, and we're gonna go all in in this business. And you know, it took you know two and a half, three years, but here we are, and and it's really played out fantastically. <laughs>
0: But Sheree and Jeff, I wanna thank you again for being uh, on the show with me today. Uh, really fascinating story and best of luck going forward. Thank you. Thank you, Edwin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the TechRides podcast. If you like what you heard, please sign up at techrides.io and look for new podcasts and videos down the road. We will be releasing podcast versions of our past videos and also introduce new podcasts on a regular basis. Tech Rides, smart people, sweet rides. Where industry leaders, ride shotgun. There you go.
3: That's
1: how it's done. And when that's how it's done, <laughs> that fast, that's another client. Re-
3: real, real-time
1: Three sales contract. calls. <laughs> Three contracts signed today.
0: <laughs> the phone no, is serious. phone is literally ringing off the hook. <laughs> it really is in in real time on live uh, recording here on <laughs> on TechRides <laughs> podcast.
2: <laughs> oh, that's so funny.